0: Indiana County 911. My brother's
1: gone. Okay, be a little more specific, sir. My brother. Who took him? I don't know what to talk
0: about, I don't know what to observe, sir. Maybe not take a breath and explain to me what happened. And I looked out and there was this big red blinking UFO. I can just say this. Something's going on in the woods. Something's going on. They're not dogs. They're not coyotes. What could it be, right? I had an encounter with a skunk ape, and it completely altered the course of my life. I found a skull. Are you guys going to want to come film this. Put him out. 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 I put just out. see it. I just see it. I, see. I just see it. Sightings
2: of a UFO hovering over a barn. Millie woke up from a dream, and when I went into the bedroom, she said there's a monster on the wall. They saw that the creature had run through
1: a barbed wire fence that they were. Able to obtain hairs, they sent the hairs to their lab, and it came back as an unknown creature. Bizarre encounters with Shane, Boyd, and Jenny.
0: Hey guys, and welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet. We are the connoisseurs of the strange, navigating the treacherous waters of the unknown to dive deep into the Mariana Trench of weird information to bring you guys the most bizarre encounters imaginable, then dissecting them with the skill of a pathologist to theorize what exactly is going on in this bizarre reality we all reside in. We are the Bizarre Crew. I'm Shane.
1: I'm Oren, And I'm Jenny.
0: And today for you guys, uh, we're going to be getting into Dogman Part 3, but before that, We got to do all of our uh, fun conversation before we start, get some updates and let you guys know what's going on in our lives. So as far as your guys end, what's new with you guys? Anything cool going on? Anything to share with the listeners?
2: Uh, Not too much going on on our end. It doesn't sound like we had nearly as exciting a week as you did (laughs) with all your technical difficulties if you want to share that with all the listeners.
0: So for all the listeners, we were kind of worried that we may have lost some episodes, but luckily I was able to save it. So pretty much the story of what happened is I go to start up doing a live show with a Strange Brew podcast last Thursday. And I open up my computer to go and do the show. And there's this recovery manager thing that's on the screen. I'm like, Oh God, what the fuck is going on here? So I'm like sitting there going through all the different loops. It's saying like, can't, this can't work. This won't work. This won't work. So I'm sitting here having a panic attack, trying to do a show with strange brew while this is going on. I'm doing it off of my phone, of course, while I have my laptop up to the side and I'm interacting on the show and also trying to figure out what the hell is going on with my laptop. Uh, so then I end up giving up. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck's wrong with this. I take it up to uh, my local mic- micro center for some it help. And, uh, the dude pretty much says that the system somehow like corrupted and And he has to pull all the information off of it. So he's trying to pull the information off of it. And I have this old external hard drive and he uploads everything onto it. It takes like six hours. Then he goes back through and realizes that half of it's missing. So then at this point, he already was like, hey, you can come pick up your laptop today. Everything's working. So then he texts me like, hey, I got some news. And I'm like, oh, fuck. After having like a panic attack all fucking weekend. And he's like, Hey, this isn't uh, working. It isn't uploading onto here. There's something wrong with the file, something like that. And I'm like, Hey, so do you think it might be the external? And if I try a different one, do you think that it might theoretically work? So he's like, Yeah, we could try that. So I end up going up there. I buy a new external hard drive and he transfers everything over. It all copies, it all works. And I'm like, sweet. So then he's like, I'm not going to charge you the extra to do the system recovery. You can just go onto the computer, hit it yourself. Everything should work. I'm like, sweet. All right. Everything I have is saved on here, at least. As far as I know, of course, because I wasn't able to dig through the files yet to really like make sure everything was on there. But it was like 500 gigabytes. So I was hoping it was everything. So uh, I get it home. Two hours into me running the updates, trying to start everything up, doing like the system reset, it comes up with some things saying that apparently the operating system is locked on some other driver. And I'm like, Oh God, what do I do here? So I start restarting the computer and it just keeps coming up to the same screen that doesn't give me any options or anything. So we're about to start actually weirdly enough, uh, bizarre encounters last week on Friday. And (laughs) that's, or no, it wasn't on Friday. It was, we're about to start bizarre encounters earlier this week. That was on Monday. I think it was. And we're like right before the show, all of a sudden eight o'clock, I think the updates are done and I go to click on it and it pretty much gets stuck on that screen. So I end up, freaking out, running up yeah, back you, to micro center, uh,
2: frantically called me an hour before we were supposed to <laughs> record. Like I could hear your navigation going off in the background.
0: <laughs> it was like, they're about to close at nine. It was like eight o'clock. So I was like running the fuck up there. Like I was supposed to do homework with my daughter and stuff. I'm like, no, I got to deal with this right now. Cause I got a doctor's appointment for my kid the next day. Like I wouldn't be able to come back up here. So I go up there, I'm expecting that it's just going to be, you know, like maybe just the people that accept accept stuff at the counter, but not actually like an IT person. So ends up being a chick that is the IT person. And she's like, oh, I see what's going on. Or she's like, I see how frantic you are. And I was like telling her that I'm like trying to run a show off of it and I need to be able to run my show and everything and all my data is on here and all this bullshit. And she's like, I got you. I'll get it fixed before close. So instantly when she said that, I was like, oh, thank fucking God. (laughs) So she's like, oh, okay, this isn't working for whatever reason. So she's like, looks around and does the, I got you. Hold on a second. So she comes up out of the back and she goes, which operating system did you have? And I was like, "Uh, I think I had Windows 10. She goes, now you got Windows 11. She goes, I saved these off of computers with serial numbers and uh, I'm not supposed to do this, but I got you. So she ends up updating my operating system to 11. So I ended up getting an updated operating system and she was trying to be nice. So she only charged me like half of like the recovery fee. So it was like 50 bucks, something like that. So like overall, it sucks because I ended up spending like $300 altogether for the new fucking hard drive, the recovery, like all that bullshit. But in the end, I ended up with a faster computer that's not full of random files and all the other shit that was the reason why my girlfriend stopped using this computer in the first place. It's like a fully reset, fresh computer. And I have all of my stuff now backed up in multiple locations. So all in all, where I'm at now, besides the 300 bucks, better than before. So (laughs) It's been a hectic week, and it's been one of those things that it's like, when I'm not doing the show, I feel unproductive, so then I start, like, kind of feeling like a piece of shit, so (laughs) it's been fun. (laughs) That's that's the best way I can describe it.
2: (laughs) And the Miss IT lady was the real MVP, it sounds like. (laughs)
0: And she goes, you do conspiracy stuff, and you do like cryptids and everything. She's like, I love all that stuff. So she like took pictures of all my like stickers on my laptop. She's like, I'm gonna look up your show. So hopefully, the other cool part is we got another listener out of it too. So if you're listening to this, thank you for fixing my computer. You rock. (laughs) And on that note,
2: if anyone out there that's listening wants to contact us and uh, contribute anything to the show, as far as artwork or ideas or suggest any topics or uh, guests for us to have, or if you're a researcher out there and want to contribute in any way, you can uh, reach out to us through email at com, And there's also a submission form on our link tree.
0: And another option, if you guys would like, you guys can shoot me a message on Instagram. That's uh, the social media that I'm the most active on. But of course, in the process, go and uh, follow us across all social media if you guys want to get updates on new episodes, anything cool going on with the show, all the uh, weird little cryptid uh products random little items that i happen to find i always post because i'm sure you know you guys probably think those are cool too because i think they're pretty damn cool so yeah go and check that stuff out uh you guys can pop in on the telegram or the discord to have some awesome conversations with us and some other awesome people uh you guys can also support the show which we definitely appreciate there's multiple ways to do that uh you can go and check out the open minds media merch store where you can get bizarre encounters merch uh bite-sized bizarreties merch um, hoodies, shirts, all that fun stuff. Uh, you can also bounce onto the Patreon, and there you will get early access to episodes. You'll get ad free episodes of Increase of Our Reality and all the other ones. Eventually, we'll have ads on this show. Um, so, there you'll be able to get ad free episodes of this when we get to that point. Um, you can also get. Live feeds and live replays, of course, of the show. Uh, the other way, of course, that you can donate, if you just want to straight donate to us, which we definitely appreciate because uh, the intention, hopefully, is to be able to upgrade Orrin and Jenny's mic so that they sound a little bit more crisp on their end. Uh, you guys can go and donate to us over on Red Circle, which is our RSS host. Uh, anything you guys do, we definitely appreciate. And anybody that donates, we will give you guys a shout-out in the show, of course, because you guys rock. Uh if you guys want to go and get yourself some awesome other merch, you guys can go and check out Crypto Theology. Uh There you'll find some awesome cryptid merch, some awesome paranormal stuff, and even some alien stuff. So they got a wide variety of stuff for anybody that's into the weird and bizarre stuff. So I'm sure if you look around, I guarantee you'll find something that you like over there.
1: And you can find all these links that have been mentioned in the link tree in the show description.
2: Boom. All right, Shane. So you want to jump back into uh, your Michigan Dogman stuff?
0: Yes, sir. So after the last experience with the uh, weirdness with the OnStar call in Troy in 2006, now I'm taking you to Benton in 2007 with a sighting of a very strangely weird, long, large footprint. This sighting report is told secondhand by the brother in law of the witness. The witness is a prominent person in local government and wishes to remain anonymous. They say the situation started last Saturday night around midnight when he was coming home from a friend's house in Benzonia, and (laughs) I think it's Benzonia, B-E-N-Z-O-N-I-A, Benzonia, and taking the back way home to Traverse City. He stated that while driving down Cinder Road, uh, several miles outside of the town of Benton, he observed a pair of eyes reflecting off of his headlights ahead of him. Thinking that it was probably a deer alongside the road, he began to slow down. As he got closer, however he stated that the object was much larger and much darker than a deer. He said that by this time, he had slowed to about 30 miles per hour and was at the point several hundred feet from the creature, which still hadn't moved. As he approached further, he stated that the only way he could describe the creature was being similar to a very large dark wolf. However, he observed that the thing wasn't on four legs, but was upright, his back two legs standing rear to a road-killed deer. He estimated that the creature stood a little over six feet tall and had very dark gray fur. He stated that by now he was going slow enough to bring his truck to a stop in the road and observe the creature, which had not yet moved and was still staring at him. He told me that for a brief second, he believed that the object was a giant stuffed animal put there as some kind of joke due to the fact that he had never actually seen anything like this in his life and that he was able to drive up on it as close as he was, without it having moved an inch. He told me, however, that before he could finish the thought, the creature then dropped to all four legs and sprinted across the road and disappeared into the woods on the other side of the roadway. He told me that he stayed frozen in his seat for a minute, wondering in the middle of the road of what the heck had just happened. I jokingly asked him if he had been drinking that night, and with a deadly serious face, he stated, no, whatever that was, it was for real. As perplexed as he was that night over what he had seen, he was deadly afraid to go wandering into the woods to investigate further. He said that in using a flashlight, he observed an animal track leading into the woods on the opposite side of the road and was fortunate enough that night to have his digital camera with him. He showed me a photograph of the paw print, which he said appeared to be about seven or eight inches long. He had another picture of the same paw print where he placed a shotgun shell in the middle of it for scale. And I'm gonna show you guys this uh this footprint right now. And for all the listeners, I will include it, of course, in the episode cover, so you guys can go and check it out yourselves. But in comparison with uh that shotgun shell, that's pretty damn fucking big footprint.
2: Damn. Yeah, that thing is huge. Like when you just hear six or seven inches, like it's hard to gauge that. No pun intended. But when you see the <laughs> shotgun shell there. Uh, it, it, Jokes. I got uh, it that time. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same scratch, but no, uh, that's, that's a big fucking footprint. <laughs> Agreed.
0: <laughs> and I, in my mind, at least like, I don't know what would be big enough to produce that besides something weird, like a dog, man.
2: Well, and it looks
0: like a dog's footprint, just huge. One second. What's over? Night, babe. Love you. Sorry. She like came up and like poked me on the wrist and I'm like, <laughs>
2: Oh, that's good. Oh, <laughs> You have to do your fatherly duties.
0: Of course. (laughs) So uh, hopping back into the story, he told me that he was lucky that the side of the road was so soft because he wasn't willing to go any further than two or three steps away from the door of his truck to get a picture. I inquired if the animal had any sounds before it disappeared, and he said that he did not hear it make any noise, and if it were not for the picture, he would have thought that he had imagined the whole thing. I asked him if I could have if it could have been a bear and he stated absolutely not he bear hunts every year in the upper peninsula so he obviously knows what a bear looks like up close that's his story believe it if you like it if i didn't know him as well as i do i and hadn't seen the pictures i would have said that he was out of his mind i've heard the song and know some of the stories but always believed that it was just for entertainment value after this happened though i'm looking at it from all angles in a whole new light so kind of a kind of a strange story. I'm kind of curious of who exactly that government official is. But in a weird way, it's kind of like a double negative though, because if a story comes in anonymous, then it's kind of you can kind of go both ways on it. Like, was it staged? Was it not? Um, but when you get the government official aspect involved in it, then it does bring in the aspect of you know, if you were a government official and you did find these things, you wouldn't want your name linked to it because you wouldn't you'd probably get shunned out of your job essentially because people were gonna were would probably deem you not mentally fit to do your job, as they like to tend to do with people that are uh, into these experiences and exploring these types of things. But uh,
1: or just disappear. Or... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: and if it's you know, depending on how high ranking and what type of government official it is, I mean, they might know something about this sort of thing to start off with. You yeah. know, I mean, if this is a rampant problem in Michigan and that area. I mean, who's to say that there aren't government officials that know
0: kind of what's going on more than we do? I mean, he was saying that he was a local government official. So that being said...
2: So like a mayor or something like that? Like if it's a particular
0: city where there's a lot of this stuff going on, I'm sure that they know more than they lead off to. But this guy had this experience in the course of driving from one city to another. So, you know, he may be from a city that doesn't have any of this kind of weird stuff going on necessarily so it's not um like recognized the same where he would have access to that information because there isn't necessarily any in that city you know because when it comes to anything that's government it's very like sectioned off like you could have one city right next to another city that one has heavy dogman encounters the other one has absolutely nothing going on and that one of the heavy dog man encounters isn't going to be passing their information to the one next to them they have like no reason to you know i
2: mean and that's if it even gets that high anyway. I mean, if higher up levels of government kind of sniff out this dogman stuff, who's to say that even the local government knows about it?
0: Yeah. I mean, especially if there's military bases in that city that that local government resides in. Um, I mean, depending on the type of military base, of course uh, there may be more information than what they lead on to. Um, I mean, even just from possibly being friends with people that work at those government facilities, um, and military bases, it may not be like an on paper thing that they know this information, but you know, it could be just because of who they know, the connections that they have. Um, they may have access to more under the table information that they're not necessarily even supposed to be giving out to other sections of the government.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's in Martin Grove's book where he's talking about how like just people he knew from his, uh, police experience, we're at the scene of the crime, and they were basically like, hey, this is what's going on. So, I mean, obviously that kind of stuff is going on, it seems like.
0: So, uh, hopping into the next portion, uh, we're going to get into the legendary Gable film. But, before we get into that, of course, I'm going to play it for uh, Orrin and Jenny, so that they can watch it. And uh, for all the audio listeners, of course, I will cut that part out, because there's no audio in the, uh, in the actual film itself. And uh, I'll give you guys a description of what goes on exactly in the film. And I will include the link for you guys. If you guys want to do want to go and check it out personally. So, all right, I'm going to screen share right here. Screen cable film. Share. There's a lot of like, just kind of like leading up to it. And it's, uh, yeah. yeah. This was back in the seventies. I almost wonder if she gave you guys the context before I actually played it. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Element of surprise is always
0: good. So there's a lot of like filler of them having fun, then there's like the the weird thing they end up recording. All right, here it is. Holy shit, it's fast, isn't it? (laughs) Moving on all fours.
1: Yeah.
0: But like, it doesn't move like a person trying to move on all fours either. Like, it looks like it moves naturally on all fours. That's
2: Hmm.
1: pretty gigantic.
0: It was like huskier than I was yeah. expecting it to be. But uh, for the listeners that didn't actually get to watch the film, of course, uh, kind of giving you guys a little bit of a background and a description of what exactly the Gable film is. The Gable film is a film by Micah Grusso, which went viral on the internet during 2007. The film allegedly filmed during the 1970s depicts what appears to be a Michigan dog man. And in an estate sale, an old film was found in a box after viewing it a home video of a strange attack was discovered. The film starts with the sons of a man named Aaron Gable riding snowmobiles on an open stretch of land. Then it cuts to Gable chopping wood before reaching for a drink. The film then jumps to a view of the forest before cutting to Gable's dog playing and running around on the road. After a short amount of time, the film jumps to Aaron Gable repairing his truck. Soon after, he begins to drive down a road while his son operates the camera. The latter starts to record a creature crawling on all fours in the forest. Gable stops the truck and takes the camera off of his son. He follows the creature's trail on foot. After a few shots of Gable walking and running around the woods, the film cuts to a shot of a creature that stood still watching Gable. The animal subsequently charges at Gable, prompting him to run. The creature's jaws are visible for a brief second before Gable drops to the ground. Now, at least for me personally, when I watch it, it of course runs on all fours and it takes off at them. It takes off pretty fast first of all, and second of all, it doesn't move like a person in a s- in a suit necessarily like it
1: no, no, nobody in a suit could go that fast well, and it like it moves weird, like it yeah. doesn't
2: move like i i mean not that I'm a bear expert or anything, but like it doesn't seem like it moves like a bear moves um. Well, and its
1: upper body was gigantic yeah, it's like, in proportion to like the waist and much you know, huskier. The yeah. yeah,
2: much huskier than like a lot of the you know normal depictions of a dog man are. Uh, so like, if you didn't see it move, I think that somebody could be oh well that's just a bear that was misidentified. But um, it, it's kind of hard to describe the movements, but it's like very like like fast twitchy, you know, like it, it's... Like already Yeah, a yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: And it's one of those things too that it's almost like the Patterson-Gimlin film and the aspect of, I feel like there's a lot of people on both sides of it. There's people that think it's real footage. There's people that think that it's fake footage. But unfortunately, I feel like it's one of those things that we may not necessarily ever like 100% know for sure. Just like the Abel film, or just like the uh, Patterson-Gimlin film, of course. Uh,
2: and I think the Patterson Gimlin film is probably like one of the best pieces of cryptid evidence we have, you know, like if you look at the special effects that we had in 1967, 68, whenever that was, I mean, that was like planet of the apes at that point. And so like that was not somebody in a suit in the Patterson footage. And if this was in the seventies, I mean, we're not too far removed from that time period. So I mean, how that thing was moving. To me, it doesn't seem like it was a person in the suit. Now,
1: and what happened to the fella? Like, it obviously looks like he was he was attacked, or he dropped his camera, or something.
0: I guess that's another aspect that we'll never know, just because the film itself was just found in that estate sale. So even like the context of, I guess the people. I don't know if anybody ever actually like found them or talked to them, but assumably, if that guy was in his what, that was probably, like, at least in his 40s back in the 70s. That means that that dude would be, like, let's see, four, five, six, seven, eight, he was, like, like 80s now. 80 or 90 now, yeah. And, I mean, who knows if the guy's still around, if his kids are still around, because, I mean, things happen, unfortunately. You know, people back then used to be heavy smokers and drinkers and stuff, so, like...
2: So, were the people in the footage ever identified? Yeah.
0: They were identified as... Um, let's see. Let me go back up to my notes here. Um, see, Micah Grusa was the one that found the film, but the actual film, the main guy's name is Aaron Gable. Okay,
2: and then so he's Gable. All yep. Right.
0: Then his kids, they just say his son. I don't know if they actually like verified a name with that.
2: Okay. No, I was getting all the names mixed up. I'm sorry. Oh, no worries.
0: <laughs> so now jumping forward to 2009 with, a uh, Tayoga Creek, a person named Rhodes of Three Lakes in Michigan, had a dogman encounter in fall of 2009. She was traveling on US-41M with her son when the beast ran across the highway near Tayoga Creek. We were very puzzled and thought it might be some mutant wolf and could not figure out what we had witnessed. It ran fairly fast, about 50 feet in front of the truck. It was so strange because the front of it was much higher up than the back, larger than a wolf. She claimed she'd never heard of the Dogman until the incident. It took reading descriptions and stories online to be able to confirm to herself what she saw. She felt validated. She had no doubt the creature she encountered was a Dogman. So kind of going back in, I guess, the typical Dogman encounters, um, more often than not, I feel like 90% of Dogman encounters seem to be them on the side of the road and then taking off across the road or away from the road for whatever reason. And kind of resorting back into that one, I still kind of think that it may be a matter of maybe they think that cars are possibly a food source. Maybe they think there's some kind of like big animal they can attempt to take down. Um, there, there's some intention on why they're sitting on the side of the road. You know, maybe, uh, I can't think of any other reason other than the fact that they would assumably probably think that the cars are food or maybe even just, they know that there's people inside the cars, which could also potentially be food. Um, because when it goes into like the whole dog man thing, um, who knows exactly like where they come from what the intentions are um if they're like the military ones that we were kind of talking about and theorizing on that they kind of just get released to go and eat as it seems um maybe that's why they're always kind of seen near the side of the road is because they're just kind of waiting for a meal to roll up on them um but if it's just like one of the natural if you want to say it dog men like the ones that are just like existing out in nature um yeah okay it still kind of resorts back to possibly being like the whole hunting concept
2: well, I, I'm i sure I've said this in one of our other episodes, but it's always kind of been funny to me that, you know, what's a stereotype, if you will, of actual dogs? Oh, they chase cars, whatever. So maybe it's as simple as maybe these are just actual dogs from somewhere else that are chasing cars just like our dogs here do. So that's just always something that I thought was kind of ironic in this whole thing.
0: I mean, it well, could also, you know- sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say, I was listening to the uh, first episode today, earlier, and I was thinking about, you know, the dog, Woody, who is um, the family I work for, their dog. he his, his just natural arch nemesis is the fucking UPS man. <laughs> like, it, it's the truck, man. The truck, he can sniff it out, and he barks louder at that big truck than he does anything. Now, he doesn't like vehicles in general, but
0: that truck... I mean, that kind of falls into what I was kind of going to get at, that it could just be strictly like a territorial thing, that if they have this certain domain that they like to stay in and there's this road that goes through it, everything else that's within that area isn't moving very fast. They can get a full idea of it. They don't necessarily feel like they're evaded in their area because assumably they're all things that are smaller than them. So they don't really feel that like, oh no, I need to protect this area kind of concept. But then if you have this one particular area in their territory where you have these big, fast moving things that come through it, their full intention of it could be pretty much that they're chasing them away to scare them away from their territory. I mean, that that could be another angle that they're coming at because they just, I mean, looking at it from, if they're not, as intelligent as, like, say, a Sasquatch, for example, and they're not looking at it as, like, oh, that could be a car or something like that, or they're not intelligent, they're just strictly, like, running off a primal instinct, then, assumably, they would just think that it's a big creature running through their territory, and they're just like, stay away, stay away, stay
2: away! No, I like that. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to a lot of reports of Dogman, it certainly seems to me, like, people don't report them exhibiting the same level of intelligence that people do with a lot of sasquatch encounters and this whole chasing cars thing, I think is a really good piece of evidence in you know the category of this is a flesh and blood creature, like whether it's from here or from somewhere else, and I certainly think you're onto something as far as you know the military clandestine experiments connection, but I think at the end of the day, a lot of these things are just quote unquote flesh and blood things. And that's what I think is so interesting about the whole, you know, evil and fear aspect that everybody talks about. Is there something paranormal about these creatures that is eliciting that reaction? Or is it just people are seeing something that's, you know, actually scary and seeing something that you shouldn't be seeing?
0: I mean, even going into the aspect of you know, we're apex predators, of course, but if there's something bigger than us, then they become the apex predator. And going into even like the on foot encounters where they will kind of sit on the edge of a field and kind of watch and then come around to them and stuff, they act very dog like regardless of whatever way you look at it. Like they're very like like the actual true animal dog. So mm-hmm. coming back to all of that, I think that it's a matter of they're they're again just Kind of like how you're explaining, like flesh and blood animals, there's not really like a fear aspect. It's just the aspect of you're not the alpha and you know that you're not the alpha. So then you go into your flight or fight response because you know that there's something there that is stronger than you and can take you out. And uh, just to make another reference to uh, Justin Crippets of the Corn, because I did like that his explanation that he gave on this, um, he was saying that when you're in a fear state, and there's an apex predator. Normally, you're the apex predator, so you don't know how to react. So people will freeze up, and the reason for that is that your brain is pretty much telling you to like, take a second and think about what's happening.
2: And so that could be where you know people talk about paralysis or the Oz effect and all that sort of stuff. hmm
0: So now, jumping forward to Baraga County in 2009. At first, Chuck thought he spotted a moose as he approached Nestoria Road in Baraga County. The world was a bit foggy and dewy that early morning in 2009, but Chuck knew he saw movement just off the edge of the road and into the woods. He stopped at the intersection, waiting and watching, and nothing happened, so he began to move. As soon as he picked up speed, the creature re-emerged. Immediately, this creature ran out of the woods in front of the car and jumped across the road to the south side. I mean, it took three long strides as, and was gone, almost like it vanished through an invisible wall. Dun-dun-dun. Invisible wall. That's a new aspect to throw in here. There you go. In a state of shock, he pondered the creature. He'd never seen anything like it. It was on all four and had back legs like those of, large, of a large man's. It had jet black fur and looked like a very large wolf other than the back legs and the human-like rump. There was no tail. The profile of the head and snout were that of a wolf, and it didn't happen to make a sound. So, again, going into the whole, like, interdimensional dogman concept, that it just vanished. Um, I mean, my question for that is, it vanished through an an invisible wall. Um, I kind of wonder if that's theoretically one of, like, the government ones. Because, assumably, like, the government has some type of, like, crazy cloaking technology. And even looking at it not from, like, oh, they literally made it disappear in air... Um you could even try to make something that reflects an image of what's behind it. Like you could have like a like a door that's literally just in the middle of the fucking woods, but you have it where it like projects the image of what's on the other back side of it. So visibly looking at it, it would look like it's invisible, but there could literally be like a door there. Like it's almost like that trick that you see that's like an optical illusion that people would do in like old buildings where you have the striped wall and then you have like the spot that sits back farther and when you're looking at it straight it just looks like a flat flush wall, but then when you get close you realize that there's actually like a hallway and then it leads back into somewhere else and it's like a hidden hidden wall like with within there. Like I don't I mean, you could always entertain, of course, the interdimensional concept, but um I don't know, I kind of steer more into the fact of if it just kind of vanished, I feel like there was some type of like government something there. I mean, even we're going into like the whole concept, he could have thought that it vanished, They could have taken off into some kind of cavern hole in the ground that they could have like released it from.
2: Well, and that kind of gets back to the whole, you know, pixelated, uh, shimmering predator type entities, creatures that people report seeing, you know, uh, Skinwalker Ranch. Um, that's a big thing there where they saw dog men as well. And, you know, there's several other reports of these like shimmering pixelated sightings of things out in the woods. So maybe that's the military aspect and that's. What's going on here? There's some type of cloaking mechanism or something that these dogman creatures are using to either hide themselves or to travel.
0: I mean, yeah, even going into the government aspect of it too, it could be as simple as they have like a device that makes it so that they're able to theoretically like go invisible, you know or like again, just project like the image back.
2: <laughs> and if you want to entertain the
0: interdimensional portal,
2: Type theory. I mean, maybe like we've kind of touched on before, maybe these things are from somewhere else and it's a whole light spectrum thing and we can only see them when, you know, everything lines up properly for us to see them.
0: I mean, it could even be a timeline thing or uh, like a time slip thing where they walk through a timeline or through a time slip and then it always seems like the time slip like will like correct itself or like pull you back into the reality that you originally came from especially like with like the human encounters where people will like see a business that's somewhere they'll go in they'll like hang out the bar and then they'll like come back and it won't have any sign that it was ever there in the first place um you know assumably sounds kind of weird but if there's like a way to walk through the veil here and a way to walk through the veil here. You could just be walking from one door to the other, but you're seen in the middle of it. And getting into the whole like interdimensional theories, um, I've kind of gotten into this idea about possible like microscopic wormholes. And if wormholes are able to contort reality, you don't necessarily need to be like the size of the wormhole to go through it. It might be able to contort you to go through it. So when it comes into like time slips, it comes into like all this like weird stuff happening, even like extraterrestrials being able to like theoretically travel and they just pop up in these like reoccurring spots. There could be microscopic wormholes that we know nothing about. They're there. We just can't see them. And maybe that's why people have missing time. Things like that is because they walk into these things and don't even realize what the hell happened. And maybe it's one of those things kind of like the Philadelphia experiment where mm-hmm. maybe just as humans, our brains aren't able to comprehend what happened. So rather than try to comprehend it, your brain itself might just throw out that information. And the time, sl- the time loss may not necessarily be something doing it to you. It might just be your brain... Not being able to rationalize what the fuck it just saw, so it just throws that information out and resets it.
2: Well, and kind of the analogy I've always used is: okay, if we live on one side of a curtain, there could all be all this stuff going on on the other side of a curtain, and if there's a pinprick through the curtain, you know something could be going on very close to us. We just can't see it. And then if something happens that allows these things to come through, then we see them. And that's kind of what you're saying as far as like these microscopic wormholes. It's just a more scientific word for the uh, patent pending Orin Felix curtain pinprick hypothesis. You know, and kind of my old theory about that when I was still like really into flesh and blood, nuts and bolts, extraterrestrials was – oh, it makes a lot of sense to me that, you know, Bob Lazar element 115 type stuff, the extraterrestrials propulsion system is, you know, kind of contorting time and space and is causing these pinpricks, maybe. And maybe if we want to entertain the ideas that the extraterrestrials are something other than, you know, nuts and bolts, flesh and blood craft from outer space, Maybe whatever these things are still have some type of ability or way to contort what we think of as reality and to form these pinpricks that these cryptids are coming through.
0: I mean, the pinpricks may even just be there and they might just take advantage of how to use them, kind of like even expanding onto like the kind of like wormhole slash like curtain theory. um, There could be almost like a network within that that all lead to that one hole And if something goes into it and doesn't know how to navigate it, it just kind of goes to wherever the current happens to be pushing at that time. But if you're something like an extraterrestrial that may know how to like navigate through the network, then you may be able to kind of like choose where or which wormhole you come out of. Because it could be like a thing where, you know, rather than it being just like, here's the entrance, here's the exit to a wormhole, it could just lead that one wormhole leads into this giant network of every wormhole actually being connected within one reality and then going back into another reality. And again, it's just a matter of figuring out how to navigate through them instead of just being pushed with the current.
2: Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if you think about these things very theoretically, it makes perfect sense that the extraterrestrials, whatever they may be, know how to navigate and kind of beam themselves through this network from one place to the other. But these cryptid creatures kind of just get lost in these wormholes and end up somewhere where they're not accustomed to being where they're not from. And to me, that explains a lot of this dogman activity. That explains, you know, why we've never found the body of a Sasquatch. That explains, oh, well, Loch Ness Monster can't be real because what does a creature of that size eat in a lake? Well, if it's not there all the time, a lot of those questions go away as far as I'm concerned. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, even going back into, like, again, the people concept of them, like, walking through uh, time slips and stuff, like, going into, like, missing 411 cases, they always seem to be in high strangest areas to begin with. Maybe it's not, again, like, the creatures attacking them, all the bodies that can't be found. Maybe they got stuck on wherever the hell the other side of these microscopic, like, wormholes are, and they weren't able to veer themselves back.
2: Yeah, and something that has always really fascinated me with the missing 411 stuff is if you look at all these cases, something that comes up time and time again is the weather, like just suddenly radically changes. Like um, it could be completely clear, and then all of a sudden it just, you know, starts a torrential rainstorm. Or one of them that I was looking into, uh, I think it was in like Montana or one of the Dakotas, something like that. And it was like a summer picnic that a company was putting on. You know, children go missing and then like all of a sudden it like literally started snowing. So I wonder if like these radical changes in weather, temperature, what have you, has something to do with, you know, if these extraterrestrials are manipulating our reality, that kind of throws off the environment at that point.
0: I was gonna say it could even be a matter of if they're microscopic like wormholes, it may not work in the aspect of it. it can torch you to fit through it. It may contort for you to fit through it. So if it like expands for you to go through it, that expansion may fuck with the energy in the weather and everything else mm-hmm. that's going on in that area because it's creating yeah. like a like a rift almost. You know, like yeah, changing
2: energies and pressure and things like that. I think that would explain a lot of these really weird, sudden changes in weather.
0: I mean, that could even be where like you see the inspiration for when somebody's doing like a spell or something and a bunch of weird weather starts happening. Um, It could be not even necessarily like a magic concept, but it could just again be something has to do with like the pressure and all the different things happening in this reality getting contorted because of a wormhole or something being expanded and reopened.
2: Well, something that just popped into my head while you were saying that, and this is something I've never really thought about. But, again, if we want to entertain the ideas that the extraterrestrials are not simply, or not all of them anyway, flesh and blood, nuts and bolts, creatures. What we're just talking about here, the pressure and these changes in weather, that could explain a lot of the old, you know, ancient tales of the people from the sky came and, you know, there was – You know, wind and thunder and lightning and all that sort of thing that, you know, a lot of people look at as far as, oh, well, that's just their propulsion system, their rockets. Well, you know, if these extraterrestrials are coming here, they're not coming here in rockets like we have. So maybe what people were reporting was actually what was happening. It was wind and it was rain and it was thunder and lightning and it was because of you know, these wormholes and all this stuff we're kind of hypothesizing on now.
0: I mean, even kind of expanding into this idea too, um, like you could essentially go through these things to go into different realities, but then there's also the aspect of like the time part to it, where maybe you aren't able to just go into multiple realities. You're also able to go into multiple times within that reality. And timelines seem to want to like correct themselves so if you're in the wrong time and you spend too much time there, maybe you get pulled back to your timeline as long as you're in the correct like dimension or reality. And then that, again, could explain the like vanishing dogmen, things like that, is it's actually a timeline trying to correct itself. And then going off of that too, these things may not even necessarily be from other dimensions or realities. They could be from Earth at different periods in time.
2: Well, I think, you know, once you start getting into time and all that kind of stuff, that's, you know, obviously so far above my pay grade. Like, But I think we pretty much know at this point, time is not what we've been led to believe our entire lives that it is. It's not this linear thing that happens, you know, A, B, C, D, so forth. I mean, time is much weirder than that. It's much more arbitrary than that. And then when we start throwing in wormholes and E equals M C squared type shit on top of that, basically at that point, who the hell knows what's going on? And I think anybody, even people that are way smarter than all of us combined, uh, anyone who claims to have the answers to this, they're just hypothesizing at that point. Like once you get this weird and this deep and this far down the rabbit hole, in my opinion, nobody really knows what the hell's going on.
0: And I don't think it's anything that's ever going to be, like, comprehendable, like, at least to the general public, like, within our lifetimes.
2: Uh, and I think the further you get down probably that rabbit hole, like the paranormal or anything else, the weirder it gets and the harder it is to explain at that point. It, it's kind of like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way, mm-hmm. you know. I, I mean, the, the closer you get to answers, the further away you get from them.
0: And if anybody ever says they have the definite answers, that's probably the last person you should listen to.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: (laughs) So, uh, hopping back into the last encounter that I have for you guys, as far as the Michigan dog man goes. And of course, like most things, you got to save the best for last. So this one is probably the most, uh, hands-on encounter. So this is going to be the longest one, of course. And, uh, yeah, I I won't give it too much away. I'll just get into it. But, uh, this one, it came from somebody who had done an interview before. This guy doesn't usually go on shows and talk very often. So the original interview that I did pull this information from, I will include the link down in the show description if anybody wants to sit down and listen to it. It's about 45 minutes or so long, so it's a little bit more in-depth. But uh, I'm going to give you guys the the quick over-important information here. And uh, yeah, it's probably about the best way to do it. But I definitely highly recommend that anybody who's interested in this stuff, definitely go and check out the uh, the full interview. So... Trucker Joe Barger, 59, a six-year Army veteran, recently recounted his story to the host of YouTube channel What Lurks Beneath. Barger was transporting a 43,000-pound load of paper from a mill in northern Michigan through the forest on his typical route when he encountered the dogman on an evening in June. He said he had never heard heard of the cryptid before the incident. He explained he thinks it's important for Michigan residents to be aware of what he saw. So, um, I don't know if it mentions it as I run through this, but, uh, the forest that he's referring to is the Manistee forest. So that's like one of the main dog man spots for Michigan. So Joe pulled over to fix an air leak and he claimed, I was hearing a vocalization that wasn't natural. It wasn't a sound I had ever heard before. I was looking around and I saw some shadowing in the wood line, but there was plenty of light to see. It was nowhere near getting dark yet. I was in bear country, so I perceived the shadow to be a black bear at the time. When he realized he could be near a black bear, Barger got back into his truck and checked out the air, which was good to go. He checked his driver's side mirror for any traffic on the two-lane road at the bottom of the hill, and there was no traffic. As he started going up the hill and looked into the right side mirror, he saw that it was darker than it should be. There was a wolf head the size of my window, and my windows were down. Barger said in the video. He was trotting along next to me when I was going about 25 to 30 miles per hour at that point. And he was stooping down on two legs, looking down inside of my cabin. I'm at a nine foot tall cabin in my seat and his hands were coming up, scratching my window sill. On my door handle, I could hear his claws. It has a lot of sharp teeth and the teeth on the thing were a brilliant white, three inch long fangs, bottom to top pure black pointed ears. It had yellow eyes with human-like hands, probably 14 inches across. It was at least 10 feet tall from how it was stooping into my cabin. His yellow eyes were darting all over the place and looking at me. How this creature looked was mad and determined to get me. He was sneering. He wasn't making any noises vocally, but the looks he was giving me and the intelligence in his eyes was telling me, I'm here to get you and there's nothing you can do about it. Barger pulled his forty-five Colt strapped to his waist and took two shots at the creature. He instantly went down. I was looking at him as he was sliding into the, into the weeds. I was at almost point-blank range, so I'm pretty sure I got him through the eye orbit. His head was huge. Everything on the animal was black except his teeth and his eyes. I wasn't really panicking, but it was the scaredest I've ever been in my life. About a mile up the road, Barger found a spot large enough to turn, around, turn his truck around in. As Barger was coming back down the hill, at at most five minutes after the shooting, it was gone. I was really in shock for a good while. I was still driving the truck and didn't even know how I got back. I shouldn't have been driving the truck in that state of mind, but I wasn't going to stay around or park anywhere near there. It was the most terrifying thing I think anybody could go through, worse than even any combat situation, because at least you know what you're dealing with in that situation. Barger had nightmares for six months to a year on and off. The nightmares got less prevalent as time went on and he doesn't deal with them anymore. Additionally, Barger claims the federal government is keeping the existence of Dogman quiet. After I got better from the nightmares, I had a family member tell me I should get this out to the public. So I talked to one podcaster that is popular in the cryptid space and I didn't want to be out there publicly. So I took notes and, narrated my sto- and he narrated my story about four years ago. Three months later, Barger said he was detained at a scale house by state police to wait for federal authorities. When they first showed up, they were very intimidating and angry. I didn't know what was going on. They said, you killed one of our assets and this is how things are going to go down. That was their property and they were mad that I killed it. And they were trying to get me to stop talking about it. They probably knew that I was the narrator from the story. In the video, Barger said that the federal authorities threatened him, confiscated his gun, and shut his bank account off for some time. Researchers have pointed out that the Dogmen may be a spiritual protector of ancient Native American grounds. Some of the Dogmen sightings have even been linked to ancient sites. But at least for this one, I kind of tried to do it as shorthand as I could because I didn't want to pretty much sit here and restate a 45-minute interview. But again, I highly recommend that if anybody wants to take the time to get every single little detail of the story, uh, the link is down in the show description. So go and check it out for yourselves. And uh, it's definitely an interesting story. And they actually have video of him telling the story, which is always nice because then you can kind of get somebody's emotions while they're telling the story and kind of get a better idea of what exactly they were feeling and experiencing when they were going through certain aspects of the story. But...
2: Yeah, so the thing that I think is kinda interesting about that one is the idea of them being the protectors of like ancient sites or Native American mounds or whatnot. Cause if I remember correctly, um like the first kind of reported Beast of Bray Road sighting was in, I believe, nineteen thirty-six, and somebody reported um I believe it was a dogman type creature uh, that was digging in a cemetery or on a burial mound or something of, to that effect. Uh, don't quote me on any of this. I'm doing this off the top of my head. But I think
1: it was a, a burial ground. I, yeah, I I'm pretty sure right. it was too. Um,
2: but anyway, I think that kind of gets back to you know if any of our listeners have listened to other episodes, I've beat this drum a few times at this point. This idea of does weird things happen at these sites because you know they're a burial ground and then so their spirits and weird things happen or were these burial grounds and these megalithic structures built in sites where the energies were weird to start off with and you know i think if you know it's theorized that these dogmen are the protectors of these sites I think that lends a lot of credence to the idea that, well, maybe the native Americans and ancient peoples built these things in these areas. Cause there's weird stuff going on there to start off with.
0: I mean, just to entertain that, I know that I read this off in the very first part of this kind of serious thing that we did in the original, like dog man theories and thoughts, not the necessarily Michigan dog man, but I feel like it pertains to what you said. So it's just a paragraph. So I'm going to read this again. Uh, Back in the 1860s, the Shawnee established their own group of warriors known as the Dog Soldiers or Dogmen. Native Americans spent years studying or becoming one with their spirit animal, taking on the mannerisms and strengths of wolves and dogs. Allegedly, all the Shawnee Dogmen were killed off by the U.S. Army. However, according to lore passed down from the elders, not all of them are dead. According to legend, some of the Dogmen actually shapeshift into dogs and now roam the woods and swamplands. So they either one could be protecting their ancestors and that's where that like connection kind of comes into or two with the one digging in it. Um, I mean, maybe it was trying to get to something that has to do with their heritage, like maybe like a particular item or something like that. Um, because of course there's multiple angles that I kind of feel that we've kind of established as far as coming at dog men. Um, you could come at them from the, uh, From that like government experiment variation of it where it's like the gene splicing, like I've been saying, not necessarily like a person turning into like a wolf kind of a thing or turning a soldier into a wolf. Uh, you can also come at it from like the natural aspect that there's something that's just here. Um, and then the third aspect you can come at is that you can kind of categorize them in the same group as like a like a shapeshifter or a mimic or like a almost I guess say like a skinwalker, I guess too, where it's some type of Shaman, clever man, whatever you want to call it, that has the ability to shift into this particular creature.
1: Yeah, you know, I was just gonna say I can get behind all of that. And also, um, maybe it's just Scott Farkas from a Christmas story and we just need Ralphie. With his yellow eyes. So help me God. <laughs> yellow eyes. I mean the coonskin <laughs> cap and whatnot. I mean, that would explain a lot.
0: He's got the teeth too. He does. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we just need Ralphie yeah roaming marauders and dogmen <laughs> and on that note
1: <laughs> we just need a red Rider BB gun
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that beer opening is a good closer to our Michigan dogman saga three parts later and I don't know. Maybe we'll come at it in the future, but we'll have to dig into some more encounters. Give us a couple of years and I'm sure we'll find some more encounters to come at you guys as far as the Michigan Dogman goes. But I feel like as far as I go being a Michigander, um, I've heard people, of course, make reference to it, but I don't feel like anybody has hit it this in depth before. So that's what we did for you guys. And hopefully you guys enjoyed it.
2: Well, Shane, thank you for uh, kind of heading this whole Dogman thing up. Um I've really enjoyed it. I feel like I've learned a lot. Um, You know, I kind of just knew the surface cliff notes version of the whole dog man thing before we went into this knew nothing about the Michigan dog, man. No, so. me
1: neither. This has been so much fun.
2: Yeah. So, uh, you, you've learned us a lot on this one too. So thank you so much.
0: I appreciate the, uh, the comment guys. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys enjoyed this and you guys enjoy all of our content, uh, we definitely would appreciate it. If you guys didn't mind leaving us a review, hopefully five stars only. And, uh, if you guys are nice enough to do it through iTunes and you guys leave some type of, uh, Nice message with it. Of course, we would love to read it out on the show. Give you guys a shout out. Uh, Another way you guys can help out the show, which we greatly appreciate, of course, is sharing with friends. Word of mouth goes a long fucking way. Uh, So does sharing on social media. We definitely appreciate that. And anybody that does this and helps us to support the show, we love you guys, and we definitely appreciate you.
2: And once again, if any of our listeners want to contribute to the show in any way, whether that be through art or suggestions for guests or topics, Please reach out to us um, through our email, which is bizarreencounters at
1: or the submission form on the link tree. Um, and I don't know if you guys have heard this, but we have this thing and it's called the link tree. And it has all of our links in it and it's in the show description.
0: So go and check that shit out.
1: <laughs> check that shit out. I've been Shane. I've been Oren. And I've been Jenny.
0: And keep it bizarre, guys. Bizarre. Bizarre. Bizarre? Bizarre?